The world is evolving at a faster pace than ever before. And as we begin the path to recovery after worldwide disruption, this podcast explores how design industries can adapt to changing expectations and create a better future for both their businesses and consumers. I'm Carla Bazashi, President and CEO of WGSN and your host this week. You're listening to Create Tomorrow, the WGSN podcast. This week, I speak to Nanushka founder Sandra Sandor and Peter Baldazzi, the company's co-owner and CEO. After attending the London College of Fashion in 2005, Sandra established Nanushka just one year later. Over the years, the label has made a name for itself through its ardent approach to sustainability, while staying committed to its luxury roots. Over the course of the conversation, I asked them about the changing consumer relationship with sustainable fashion, how they challenge suppliers to truly deliver sustainable solutions, how year in lockdown has evolved their approach to working with their employees and how to manage the growth of a business while maintaining that family ethos they had established from the start. I really enjoyed the conversation and particularly the frankness and the openness with which Sandra and Peter spoke to me. So let's not waste any more time and jump straight into the conversation. I wanted to start um, with a question about sustainability. Uh, You have um, a piece on your website when you talk about seeing waste as a design opportunity. And I'm really intrigued by this mission. Yes. So um, I'm very, very um, inspired by um, eco-design, which which means basically looking beyond the aesthetic values um, of of an of, of a garment or of an object and looking at um, longevity, versatility, practicality as 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 equal values, and actually creating from waste. I feel that a lot of people um, think that it will necessarily have to be not beautiful, but actually I think that it's a kind of like a design um, challenge um, to create. Uh, beautiful pieces from waste and and actually we our design team um, is very committed and we feel very inspired by even our dead stock materials and re repurposing those and um, using them up in with different kinds of techniques like crochet or um, special knitting techniques um, from like scraps of our our fabrics and um and we're actually also working on um, one project like this um, in our current collection. The brand's been around since 2006. Have you found more recently that consumers are more interested in the sustainability side of what you do? Or has this been something that's resonated uh, right since the start? I think people are definitely becoming more and more interested and appreciating sustainability more and more as we um, go ahead in time. And I would say that from a, from a supplier's end, um, I, I see change, like drastic change happening in the past two years. Um, so what I mean by that is the choice of uh, sustainable options and sustainable raw materials are kind of, I feel they're, they're in a thriving um, innovation. And, and um, I still don't feel that there are, um, you know, amazing alternatives for everything and that there are solutions for everything. But, um, but there is definitely a very um, big development happening. Whose responsibility do you think it is to find those solutions 
Is it the supply chain? Do you find that you're having to really challenge your suppliers on this front? Or do you think it's as much with the brands and the, you know, the creative directors um, to help come up with those solutions? Mm, I definitely think it's both. It, it has to happen on both ends. But actually, it's an interesting question that you ask because I can, you know, it's interesting to even see myself as, as for example, like if I'm attending, for example, a fabric fair and, and I go into a, you know, I go to see a company and I, and, and I start with, please show me your sustainable, um, you know, collection. And if they say, oh, sorry, like we don't have one, then, then I really try to make, you know, a kind of statement or try to make them feel that this is not okay. And I'm sure that this, you know, a lot of this kind of, you know, behaviors of other designers has definitely pushed the suppliers to, to, um, to look into and, and to offer sustainable options. Peter, can I come to you? So as CEO, you're obviously always balancing the financial impact of the cost of the products you're creating with what you're able to sell them for. I hear so much from other CEOs that this is a, this is a problem when it comes to sustainability, that the investment uh, is going to take much longer to pay off. How have you grappled with this and made that a very successful part of the business? I would argue with that up to a certain extent, because according to our experience to work with sustainable materials it is not necessarily more expensive than working with not sustainable materials so i think that's that's the that's the bottom line but um i think we have to take a step back and and look into the fact that nanushka has embarked on its sustainability journey 4 years ago so it's not something completely new for us. When, when I joined the business um, to be Sandra's partner um, with our investor, we have created a new strategy for the company and sustainability. Sustainability has always been part of Nanushka, but it wasn't a key pillar. Um, but four years ago, we decided that we start investing in, um, in the field of sustainability. We build a team. We build out the skills, the capabilities, the supplier network that you need to actually move to a more sustainable operation and at the same time um, make the business feasible and financially um, sound. And the reason why we are in, the, in this position is because we have been doing this for four years now and, it's, and, and we don't try to turn things around under a few weeks or a few seasons. It's a long-term play. And, and, and even after four years, I can say that we are in the very beginning of our sustainability journey. So there's still a lot more to do and learn, um, but we have some you know, tangible results, established network of suppliers, best practices, an established team of sustainability experts. And, and, and if you have that, if you start investing in that on time, then you can actually make it work. But I don't see sustainability as a competitive advantage for Nanushka, not even on the short or midterm. It's going to be a commodity. 
it's going to be the baseline. You either do it or you, you will be out of business very soon, um, either because we, we destroy our planet or because um, your customers will just, you know, not buy your products. I think that is fascinating. I think so many brands at the moment are going to do it because they think it will be a competitive advantage. But the um, the belief that this is commodity and it is something that you have to do, which really comes across from both of you, uh, I think is really powerful. It's a really powerful message and one that the rest of the fashion industry and not just fashion, actually, uh, need to really be waking up for. What are you excited about in this space? Are there any particular innovations that you're hearing about at the moment that um yeah cause cause you great excitement and think are going to be game changing well what what i am the most most excited about is the fact that our company and our group of companies because nanushka is now part of the vanguards group um our group is now working on actually creating an innovation lab an innovation center for working on um on innovating materials um, but not just materials, also processes and, um, and um, figuring out new ways of creating products and using waste and managing waste and managing obsolescence. And so that's one of the one of my most um, my, one of my favorite projects at the moment. Um, I think companies at this size haven't really had the chance to experiment uh, that much. So this is something that we are working on now. both about people for a moment um we've all lived through a very strange year well more than a year now um and i know lots of companies are grappling with how they keep their employees engaged so are there any tactics that you've used in the past or you imagine you will be using in the future to ensure that you have a workforce that is inspired to show up and and do their very best creative work every day i think that um, quite intuitively, we both, like Peter, both Peter and I run our company with um, a kind of, um, I don't know, maybe this is not the right word and maybe Peter, you could help me out with this, but kind of with this kind of like family um, vibe. So I'm not saying that, you know, obviously we need to be, you know, professionals and we need to be really productive, but I really feel that... Um, with with our employees, we do have this special relationship, which is not necessarily very um, strict, and and it's kind of like a friendly environment for sure. And I think that this is something that's quite important. Frankly speaking, it's not easy, um, and I'm not. I can't even say I'm satisfied with where we are at the moment, um, because. Um, First of all, Sandra is right saying that the company has a family attitude towards um, towards our people. On one on on one hand, on the other hand, um, you know, thanks to the due to the quick growth of the company, while a few months or even a few two years ago, we were able to invite our our team to our apartment. Um, and uh, have a drink after a long week there. 
now the company has 186 employees globally and it's pretty much not possible anymore. So uh, we are inevitably losing the family attitude a bit. And what can replace the family attitude and the family um, approach is, is something that we're trying to figure out. But to figure that out, you need to spend more time with your team and with, 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 with your people. And that's the difficult part because during virtual meetings and Zoom calls and Google Meets and Teams, etc., um, it's getting more and more difficult. And I think why I'm saying that I'm not satisfied with where we are today is that we, we barely have FaceTime with these people. We barely spend time together in one space, in one room, in one environment where we can actually kind of build and maintain that personal relationship. I'm not saying that it's, it's bad, but it's far from ideal. And I think most of our relationships have suffered during the pandemic. You could only, you were only able to spend time with the closest, your closest peers, your closest friends and family. And many people who are also important for you, you were not able to spend time with them. So I find it very challenging. And I think one of the, one of the things that I'm very excited about after, um, after um, the beginning of the end of the pandemic um, is to spend time with, uh, with our colleagues and friends and partners um, and actually rebuild these relationships a bit to just hear what's going on with who. And, and I think that that cultural aspect is crucial and we have to start working on that as soon as we are actually allowed to um, spend time together again. It's really refreshing to hear you speak so honestly on that front, because I think these growing pains that businesses go through often get glossed over. Uh, and that going from that small family to a big international company is it's not easy. Have there been any silver linings for the company during the pandemic? Are there any things that you think you've learned that you will take into the future? Well, we have learned much more than um than we could wish for um, from business to personal um, um, perspectives as well. I think one of the key learnings is, is the fact that how much we have to appreciate when, what we have, when we have it, as a company and as individuals as well. Um, I think that's very often overlooked. Um, and it means many things. What, what does it mean to appreciate things? First of all, to celebrate things when you can, um, to, to share good things when you can, um, to have decent conversations when you can, um, and, and, um, and spending time together and working together for, um, for um, a, sh a shared purpose and shared goals. I think this is something that we will appreciate a lot after this is going to be over. And, um, and of course, there are 
plenty of, of business learnings in terms of how you can manage teams remotely. Now we are spread out um, into four offices, New York, London, Milan, and Budapest. Um, so you can learn all those things, of course, which are, I think, very practical skills that that we have partially learned during the pandemic, but our company is originally very digitally native. So we were in a, in a, in a, in a position to transform the company from the, from the uh, pre-pandemic uh, mode to the um, work from home mode in two days. So it, it, it wasn't complicated for us at all. Um, but I think these learnings um, will stay with us for sure. And I don't want to say that, you know, the importance of sustainability um, is something that we learned during the pandemic because we didn't. Um, fortunately, we, we started this much, much sooner than, than, than the pandemic. So um, I think this might just have accelerated certain projects and certain initiatives. But um, yeah, but I think the learnings is more like about the personal relationships. For me, it was very, very surprising to see how um, our our team and um, especially like because I can I, I work obviously with the, the design team how we managed to adapt to this remote working and um, and we actually created our like these special tools for ourselves how we managed to do fittings and 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 also some you know like digital presentations to, for each other to be able to to design two or three collections remotely um, and and for me, yeah, this was very very fascinating to to see that this is possible. So so this was definitely um, you know an upside um, of the pandemic. Right, Sandra, let's let's talk fashion now. What are your predictions for the future? What do you think we're all going to be wearing uh, for the rest of 2021 and into 2022? Wow, <laughs> that's a big one. But actually, um, I think that um, functionality and practicality will be very, very important to everyone. And, and you know, just the fact that we've been so comfortable, um, probably, <laughs> I assume everyone has been comfortably dressed in the past um, yeah, year, um, I think that people won't be easily giving up from that comfort. So I, that will definitely, that element will definitely influence fashion um, even more. But then on the other hand, obviously, you know, we would love to... Um, express ourselves and all aspects of our personality much more than how we used to do that. Um, so that will also bring a lot of like very statement and bold boldness, I think, to fashion. I think there are various um, competing theories about what comes after the pandemic. So I, I, I very much expect people to, to be out and about um, potentially much more than they did pre-pandemic. Um, obviously, it will go back to, it will find its balance. But I think the next year and a half, two years will be very intense. And I think fashion will also be most likely more expressive, bolder, 
Um, and potentially dressing up will actually um, be relevant again um, after wearing sweatpants and sweat sweatshirts for a year. I think people just want to um, wear a proper um, some proper clothes, and um, and I and I think that that will definitely be part of the near future. I love your optimism. It's so nice when we're still in these very uncertain times to hear a voice of optimism. Uh, I think we all should be really kind of holding on to that at the moment. Uh, and we all have a part to play right on that front. Um, I'm interested, you're selling into so many different countries now. When you're thinking about your collections, are you designing for different age groups, different geographies, or do you have a very kind of set idea of the Nanushka consumer? Obviously, we, we try to look at, you know, different aspects and, and geographical aspects, definitely commercial aspects. But actually, I just think our, our whole approach to, to fashion is quite um, universal in a way. And it kind of, it's very inclusive as well. And, um, and actually, um, also like just to, to talk about, you know, like, gender inclusiveness as well like um we've been um we've introduced um our symbol collection and also an eyewear collect a collection which is fully a um a unisex collection and um and actually i just feel that we are very affected and and we really want we really believe in like gender fluid um in, in the gender fluid ap- approach and um and i really love you know to to kind of work on 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 both genders elements and being inspired by both genders elements and included in both collections rather it's the men's or the women's and kind of like cross like playing with those um across both um collections i'm conscious we are uh, running out of time so um i've just got a few more kind of quick fire questions that i'd love to throw in here at the end um diversity has been a huge topic uh, over the last year rightly so um, maybe one of the silver linings of the pandemic uh, actually that voices that perhaps hadn't been heard really are being how are you tackling that within your organization and also what do you think the fashion industry at large should be doing uh, on this topic of diversity Diversity and inclusivity is very important for Nanushka and it was very important in our creation of our spaces and also our stores. We really want people to feel comfortable and to enter our stores um, when they enter our stores to feel, you know, at home and and at ease. Um, And we really want everyone um, to feel that um, energy and that kind of sense of belonging and community feeling. And also... What I would um, talk about is that we we have this special program, which we call the Design for Life Mentorship Program, um, to help uh, young people from um, POC backgrounds. And actually, the winners of this first program will be starting around May, um, their internship in Budapest uh, with the design team. And actually, the design winner um, is from India, and the print uh, design category winner is Asian American from Seattle. And uh, we're really, really looking forward to 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 have them here and, and and to work together. Finally, I wanted to talk about you. You have gone into ceramics, 
Um, so not just a, a fashion label at the moment, that's something we're seeing elsewhere in the industry as well. Do you think for fashion brands to survive uh, in this day, day and age, they need to have multiple different product lines, eyewear and things like that as well? Was that very much a commercial based decision or was it just kind of born out of passion uh, within the company? Mm, it was definitely both, actually, but um Passion was a very important aspect of it too. Um, although we have a lot of other, um, you know, like future plans, which which um, which we're very passionate about. But if it's not validated by business um, aspects, then we, you know, decide to postpone that. For example, so uh, it's definitely merging the two aspects. Um, I'm not sure that you know, uh, maybe Peter is better with that, or he can see that better. That, you know, does a fashion brand need to definitely become a lifestyle brand in order to succeed? I'm not sure about that, but I just feel that the way we can express our universe, you know, more effectively and in a very, you know, diverse way, I really need more platforms and more forums for that. And and I just see these special projects and special launches as platforms for that um, expression. Well, Nanushka is part of the what we define as the new luxury movement. And I see it from the opposite side. I, I don't really see a fashion brand can actually be a fashion brand without being a lifestyle brand in the new luxury, the new age of luxury. Um, because if you are not a lifestyle brand, what actually are you selling? then you are just selling a certain product and then you are not anymore really fashion. You are much more a product-led company. So I think the barrier between lifestyle and fashion are just completely fading away and, um, and we are all in this fashion new luxury segment. We are all in the lifestyle business because we are, I think we're selling culture and we are selling we are selling values through our products and through our design. And if you do that, and if you just um, create values through culture, it, it, you are inevitably in, in the lifestyle business because um, that's what values, that's where values are. The, the, what lifestyle means, the way you live your life, right? And you live your life through values and if you pick a certain brand, if you choose a certain brand, you choose that because those values are aligned with your own values. So anyway, we are in the lifestyle business through values. Thank you so much to Sandra and Peter. Your honest and open answers were so great to hear. I'd also like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you've heard, then please subscribe to the show, which is available on all major podcast platforms. And if you really like what you heard, then please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It definitely helps us get the word out there. If you're interested in what we've been talking about today, then please head over to WGSN.com to find out how you can get access to all of our insight and analysis. We're constantly publishing new content around how we can design a better, brighter future for our industry you'll find reports covering sustainability and innovation on our fashion platform, where recent topics include denim eco-washes, apparel packaging, and the push to circularity with polyester. Thanks again to our guests, Sandra and Peter. And I'd also like to thank our podcast producers, Roland Bodenham and Bethan Ryder. And thank you again for listening. Until next time, keep well and healthy, and we'll see you then.